several branches, but it's just not the right season. They did this right at the end of the harvest. So I got an artificial Christmas tree limb, which <laughs> serves the same purpose. This is part, they call it the sukkah. This is part of the traditional thing, and they hold all these palm things in the right hand, and they hold a lemon. It's actually an ergot, but this close to lemons, the closest thing I can find at Kroger. They don't sell those over there. Over there. So anyway, and, and they hold them in, in the left hand, the lemon, the right hand, the things. And, and keep in mind, a lot of this is all traditional. And, the, and they face east. I think that's east. Sunrise is there. So, and, and they take this and they shake it three times east. And they shake it three times south, three times west, three times north, three times up, three times down. That's thanking God for the, for the harvest and thanking God for being with them in all areas, whether up, whether north, south, east, west, up, or down. Is he still with you? North, south, east, west, up, or down? Do, don't we sometimes fail, fail to even acknowledge the fact that Christ is with us? We sometimes fail to acknowledge the fact that we're not doing anything on our own. It's all him. Where'd your breath come from? Where'd the energy come from this morning? An old joke, but scientists had determined that they could create life out of nothing. So they determined they didn't need God anymore. And they had this, this powwow and they said, God, we don't need you anymore because we have created life ourselves." So he said, fine, show me what you got. And they got dirt and started to shape it. And he said, get your own dirt, people. Get your own dirt. <laughs> Think you don't need God? He's our very source. He's the breath of life. He said in Scripture that I'm the bread of life. In the text we read, he says he's rivers of flowing water. He's living, living water. We're going to look a little bit more about about the feast and, and how this came up to where Jesus started speaking in 37. But his brothers had said, go on up to the Feast of Tabernacles and show your miracles. Go on up now because nobody who wants to be anybody does anything in secret. Nobody who wants to get fame, who wants to get fortune, who wants to get famous and a great following, nobody does it in secret. Why are you staying here? Why are you holding back? Why are you not up at the Feast of Tabernacles? Jesus' response to him was, it's not my time. He said, you all go on because it's always your time. Because you don't make a difference in the world. That's what he was saying. And it says it's his brethren, brothers. Um, one commentator I studied said he, they couldn't have been believers, so thus they made, must have been blood relatives. They couldn't have been believers because of the way they were talking to him, saying, going up, going up there and gain fame for yourself, create a following. And it goes on to say that they did not even believe in him, and that's in, in verse 5 if you want to look at that. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, verse 6, The right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast because for me the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. Now, that was sort of an affront that the Lord gave to him when he said, The time's always right for you. And I already referred to the fact that because you're not making a difference in the world. Now, to be a believer and to walk as a believer in the world is going to cause some friction. 
There's going to be at some point that the people that you're with, whether it's in a work situation or whatever it is, you're going to make them feel uncomfortable because you stand on principle. Jesus was saying to his brothers, you guys don't believe enough to cause a problem in the world. So you just go on. It's not going to make any difference. But my time has not yet come. Now, I don't know what it was like to be the brother of the Lord Jesus. Talk about a tough act to follow, huh? Tough act to follow. This man who lived on principle... This man who didn't go along with the crowd. This man who forgave and said, go and sin no more. Had to be a tough act. So anyway, Jesus said, go on, my time's not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. Verse 10, however, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, where is that man Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything public about him for fear of the Jews. We'll go back over verse 37. So Jesus began to teach about the middle of the feast. He began to teach in in the courts. And the courts was an outer area where where teachers could come in and, and teach to the people. We talked this morning in Sunday school about the common people, the one Jesus mostly talked to. The one he reached... Most effectively were the common folk, and I, I, I'm a common folk, and, and most of you all are common folk, and I think you're all common folk. The ones who were not taken by him were the religious people, were the holier-than-thou, the self-righteous, the I'm-better-than-you crowds. They weren't taken by him. By taken, I mean they weren't wowed by him. So he sat in temple courts and he taught. And, and there's a lot we can go into in this, but we're going to jump on to 37, uh, where we already read it. It says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, one of the things they did on that day was there was a great procession. There was a procession of priests coming, and behind that folks would have a, have a, um, a golden bowl, and they would go by the pool of Siloam, and they'd dip water up. And as they'd walk by on the on the eastern side of the altar where the sacrifices were made, there was this large silver bowl. And as they went by, they would dump water out of the pool of Siloam. And, and you know, there's there's some significance in Scripture on the pool of Siloam. They'd dump the water in there with with great fanfare, and they would sing a song, and they would quote Isaiah. These folks had religion, and these folks came, they knew how to celebrate. They knew how to party. And I'm not saying that lightly, but it was a feast time, a party time, a time of getting together and celebrating God the Father. So they knew how to do that. And when Jesus was standing here, no doubt he was watching these folks coming, and they had scooped water out, and they'd walk from the Pool of Siloam, and they were coming up and they reported it on the eastern side of the altar. And as they poured it in, they were celebrating. And just keep in mind, Jesus saw this pouring, saw them pouring it in there, and, and always the master teacher... Always the teacher of opportunity, Christ met him where they were. I'm thankful he met me where I was. But he met him where they were, and it, where they could understand. And he said, if you're thirsty, this guy had just come by and dumped two gallons of water in this thing. And he said, if you're thirsty, come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me 
and drink. This is good, but you're going to have to do this again next year. Come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Now, he began to mingle things as a physical thirst and a spiritual thirst. And he who believes in me, let him come to me. And streams of living water will flow. I think King James says, will flow from the belly. All this is a picture of of taking your candle. Dorothy and I talked before she sang what song she chose, but that's part when you're filled with the Spirit, and that's what he was referring to there, when you're filled with the Spirit, the idea is that you flow outward to others. And when you have streams of living water in you, your whole purpose is to honor God with those streams of living water. If the Holy Spirit's in you and it flows through you, it's going to go out and touch others. And sometimes you're going to upset people when you do that. You're not going to be like the brothers who never made waves But when the Holy Spirit flows through you, you're going to make some people uncomfortable. But did Christ not make people uncomfortable? I'm not advocating at all being argumentative. But I'm speaking of standing on principle. I'm speaking of standing for what you believe in. And I'm speaking of following the prompt of the Holy Spirit. If you get living water flowing through you, It doesn't stagnate. Living water is something that keeps moving. It keeps moving. There's a book I love. It's called Hind's Feet on High Places. It's written by Hannah Hernard. And and she talks about a a waterfall. And she follows one drop of water. And all this is is an analogy. But she follows an allegory. She follows one drop of water over the waterfall. That, That drop of water willingly gave itself. Joyfully gave itself to its purpose. It's principle. That's where we are as believers. We need to willingly give ourselves to the purpose. Wednesday night, Noah spoke of purposing in your heart to do something. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and Jesus said, if you're thirsty, if any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and living waters are going to flow through him. It says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow through him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Now this was before Pentecost. Do you remember what happened at Pentecost? There was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It was the Holy Spirit entered the house, people. The Holy Spirit came in the house. Up to that time, and this is uh, the end of verse 39, up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. You remember King Saul in the Old Testament? You remember when the Israelites whined and whined and whined and said, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king? And God said to him, I am your king and I'm enough. But Lord, that nation's got a king. But Lord, that nation's got a king. I'm enough, people. But Lord, we want a king. So they gave him God gave him Saul. At some point down the road, Scripture says, and God regretted ever giving him Saul because the Spirit at that time would go on people for a season for a purpose in their life, and then it would leave. It did that to Saul. At some point, the Spirit left Saul. 
Remember Samson, it says he didn't know the power had left him. But praise God, when Christ came, and Christ gave himself, and Christ was resurrected, and got seated at the right hand of the throne of God, the Spirit came back. And the Spirit settled in you and in me if we belong to him. If anyone's thirsty, believe in me, he said. And if you believe in me, streams of living water will flow through you. Streams of water that's going to touch other people. Streams of water that's going to beckon people in. I want to have the kind of testimony and the kind of life that people say there's something different. There's something thirst quenching about being around that group of people. There's something edifying, something that lifts you up by being along and among the people of God. Don't you want streams of living water to flow through you? You know, our bird bath gets really stagnant in the summer <laughs> before it before it all dissipate, dissipates. But you'll get mosquitoes hatched in it. You'll get things in it that aren't healthy for you. I don't want to be that type of vessel. We don't want to be that type of vessel if we belong to Christ. We want to be one that allows water to flow through. We don't want to be a stagnant pool like that. Um, on verse 40, on hearing these words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Some people began to believe. Most commentators believe when it says the people, it is talking about the common people. Still others ask, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem? the town where David lived. Now there comes a time when you just need to pitch what you know and you need to be willing to listen and you need to be willing to start over in your thinking processes. These people had studied so much or had been taught so much. I guess more these people had been taught rather than studying, rather than looking in the scriptures themselves. They didn't know Christ. They knew Christ's lineage. They knew he was... Joseph's son, or they thought they knew that, when in fact he was Mary's son and the son of the Spirit. So they began to argue among themselves, and sometimes we miss the call of the Spirit because we get caught up on the tracks on the page, if you will. So they began to argue about this. And I, we were talking in Sunday school this morning, it's not fair, it's not, you, just, you just can't argue with Jesus. Because he knows what's in your mind and heart. It's just not fair. He knows already. So he said, uh, Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem and the town where David lived? Verse 41, Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Remember what he told his brothers? My time has not yet come. Remember what he told his mother at the first wedding feast? Woman, my time is not yet. He told it to his disciples, my time is not yet. And before you think that Christ was seized and killed, pitch that out the window. He gave. He gave himself. He wasn't seized. What does scripture say? He could have called a thousand angels to take them off the cross. He could have just said, cross disappear. 
Don't think they caught him. Don't think they killed him. He gave. At this point, his time had not yet come. So they had done all of the shaking of the, of the lulav and the irgot and all that stuff. They had done all that, and they had poured the water in the bowls, and, and Christ, just like good parents, were looking for a teachable moment. If you want water, come and let me give you living water. Come and let me give you water that you'll never thirst again from. Come and let me give you something that satisfies regardless of your circumstances. And Christ stood. If, if you saw earlier there, it said he sat in the temple courts and he taught. But this day he stood. And he cried out. Rarely in scripture does it say that Jesus cried or even raised his voice. This was near the end of his ministry. This was in the fall before he was crucified in the spring. And he had a message to get out. What better time than when all the Israelites were gathered together worshiping. But he turned it upside down. Because he didn't go by their laws. He forgave. We mentioned that earlier. It was pivotal time in history, people. Pivotal time. You know, the, the uh, Jewish people have their own calendar. And the Feast of Booths last year, last year being 2010, was from September 22nd through September 29th. And this year, 2011, the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles will be uh, from October 12th through October 19th. Near the end of the year, right after the harvest, while things were still warm, after they got all the work done, and they were to celebrate what God had done for them. But this was a pivotal time, and Jesus, having them all there, cried out. He offered himself. He offered salvation. He offered a new beginning. He offered cleansing. And he's here this morning, and he offers cleansing. He offers a new beginning. And he offers salvation. If you've never accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ, if you've never come to him and realized that you can't do it on your own, just as he offered at the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles, he offered salvation and streams of living water. On January 2nd, 2011, he extends that same offer. If you've never accepted, today's the day of salvation. If the flow of living water has become stagnant because of unforgiveness or because of sin or because of something in your life you can't let go of, he offers the streams of living water this morning. He offers a new start. He stands and he says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. He says elsewhere in scripture that my burden's light. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Let's pray.